beautifully sung. Jesus does all things well. Jesus doeth all things well. That's why we're going to be in Mark chapter 14 today. Because some of you are facing the test of sorrow. Sickness or bereavement has come upon your life and you're having a time getting through it. Maybe your sorrow was initiated some time ago. You still struggle with it. You can't understand why or how God permitted it to happen. Jesus does all things well, including walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He does the passion perfectly well. And He is our model as our Savior because He does these things well. These five messages, and then culminating with the sixth on Easter, we're going to be looking at the last verses of the Gospel of Mark, which is itself a passion gospel. Half of this gospel is about the last week of the Lord's life. And we're going to be watching Jesus as he navigates betrayal, injustice, abandonment, mockery, and this morning, the test of sorrow. Sorrow will test you. It will test your faith in God. It will test your faith in people. It will test your mindset, your love. This is the series tested. We begin in the Garden of Gethsemane with perhaps the greatest test that the Lord faced. We're in verse 32 of Mark chapter 14. They went to a place called Gethsemane. Now that is a garden outside the walls of Jerusalem. Here we are in the last days of the Lord's life, and here I am in the garden of Gethsemane, all right? And these ancient olive trees behind me are typical of this part of uh, the Kidron Valley, we don't know for sure exactly where the, that garden was at that time, but we know that something like this, a rocky place, a place with flowers, and certainly a place with uh, olive trees would have been the Garden of Gethsemane. And so that's where we are. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible with you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, 
but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the deepest agony that the Lord felt. Recorded here in the Garden of Gethsemane. One of the gospel writers said that he was in such agony of soul that he sweat as it were great drops of blood. Sometimes sorrow comes and we don't know what to say. We're stumped for words. We don't know what to say to the grieving widow or widower. We don't know what to say to the person who's just gotten the terminal diagnosis. We don't know what to say. It's not uncommon in sorrow to be at a loss for words. And so I want to give you four things to say. Out of the Lord's agony in Gethsemane, where he did perfectly well. Concerning circumstances, say, not my will. When you look at confusing circumstances and you don't understand what has happened to you, you drop your head and you say, Lord, not my will. Thine be done. Not what I want, but what you want. There is this growing sense of crisis in the Lord's heart, in his words, and in his actions. He has been emotional throughout the evening with the disciples as they have gone to the upper room and he's said to them, oh, I have longed to, to participate in this meal with you before I suffer. Even on the road to Caesarea Philippi, perhaps several weeks earlier, he told them that he was going to be delivered into the hands of his enemies and he was going to suffer and die. And this cloud is over the life of the Lord in these last days that he walked on the planet. But there is a growing sense of crisis here in the garden and in this evening. Sometimes when you get in sorrow, you sense what is coming. You know it is coming at you like an unstoppable freight train and there's nothing you can do. Jesus knew what was coming upon him. Sometimes you sense your own impending death 
when you get sick. I talked last week to somebody who asked me about their funeral because they sense they don't have long on the planet. Sometimes you sense that your loved one is not going to live very long, and you know it in your heart. Those emotions are hard to deal with. The emotions are raw when sorrow comes. Jesus is feeling more burden, more turmoil and agony than he has ever felt before. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Your feelings are a huge part of sorrow. You cannot deny your feelings. You can try to make them healthy. But you own them. They are yours. You express your feelings to God and you say, Lord, not my will. There is this sense in the moment of sickness and sorrow when you are the one you love is hurting, maybe dying, that you realize you are completely out of control. The situation is beyond your control. You can't do anything about it. I don't like that feeling at all. I feel much more secure when I am behind the wheel of my car instead of somebody else. If I'm behind the wheel and I'm steering the wheel, even if it's raining, even if it's snowing, even if there are cars buzzing by and the highway is busy, I still feel good and I think we're going to get to our destination safely because I'm behind the wheel. However, while I'm behind the wheel, my dear wife Janet may be on the passenger side and she may be concerned about what's going on and not feel nearly as confident as me. And if we flip them and she's behind the wheel and I'm over here in the passenger side, whether it's my sweet wife or anybody else, I do not feel as good as when I am behind the wheel. I just like being here in charge where I can turn, I can hit the pedal, I can give it gas, I can do my thing. That's when I feel secure. I'm confessing to you what is true about me, but it's also probably true about you. And it's one of the things for people who are in control and make decisions and fix things. It's one of the things that's disorienting to you, disturbing to you. It disturbs your communication. It disturbs your relationships. It disturbs your sense of peace and place. When in sorrow, you are no longer in control. And you know, no matter what you do, things are going to happen, and you cannot stop them. So what do you say when it's beyond your ability to steer this ship? You say, not my will, but thine be done. You let go of your own will. And you say, God, let your will happen. That is the hardest thing to do. But Jesus prayed it in the garden. And he who does all things well began this agony, this obstacle course of trouble and sorrow from this point 
to his death upon the cross, saying, not my will, but thine be done. Concerning people, say, watch and pray. Concerning circumstances, say, not my will. Concerning people, say, watch and pray. Now, sorrow sometimes causes you to lose faith in God. Your faith in God is shaken. Sorrow sometimes causes you to lose faith in people. In the midst of people, in the deepest, darkest despair of your life, people sometimes disappoint you. Sometimes they're not there for you. They say you, they love you, but they're not present in your time of need. And here's the thing, concerning people, when people say, what can I do? You can tell them, just be here and pray for us. Watch and pray. These are the two instructions of the Lord to his disciples, to his closest friends, his allies, the people who he spent the last three years with. They are as close to him as brothers. He says, you can do two things, watch and pray. When a sorrow comes that is a debilitating, disorienting sorrow in your life, a vigil begins. You may know what you are watching for, and you may not, but there is kind of a pacing vigil that begins when sorrow overwhelms. And your friends can be there to keep watch. Some of you avoid the place of pain and sorrow, the hospital, the nursing home, the funeral home, because you don't know what to say. It should relieve you to hear Jesus saying, watch and pray. Peter, I don't need you to give me counsel or advice. James and John, I don't need you to help me understand a situation. All I want you to do is watch and pray. And if you'll just watch and pray, that will be enough. You are a good comforter when you are in the waiting room of intensive care and you are sitting there and you're not trying to explain or help anybody understand or tell them why they're going through this trouble. You are just sitting there being present, being alert, being part of the vigil. You are being a good comforter. When you are praying, you are being a good comforter. Job's friends were good comforters for one solid week when they came to him and they sat with him and they sat in silence. They were good comforters. They became miserable comforters when they opened their mouths. Young people, I want you to remember this now. You're going to need to see Jesus who does all things well as he tells his disciples, watch and pray. That's what I want you to do. You got two things to do. Just keep the vigil and pray for me. We so want to tell people, explain to them, help them understand what they need to do or should do or God expects them to do when they are deeply distressed and in trouble. But the best course is not to try to explain, 
not to try to tell them why this thing has come, but to simply sit alertly, caring for them with your presence and praying. That is a role you can embrace. It is a wonderful role. It is all that they expect. They do not expect in their deepest distress that you are the fount of all knowledge, that you are some going, somehow going to come up with a magic answer that takes away the trouble and helps them understand. They don't expect that of you. And you don't have to fear that. You need to put aside the fear that you don't know what to say. Put it aside. And when your neighbor goes to the intensive care or to the funeral home, you go ahead and go. Because you are competent in two things. You can be present and you can pray. And that is all the competency the Lord seeks of you and it's all that you need when your loved ones and your friends are in the deepest distress and trouble of their lives. Will you do it? Your loved ones are going to begin to separate in the deep sorrow. It just happens. People do not want their sorrow on public display. Jesus takes the 12 only to the garden. And then he leaves the eight, actually, that are left, and he goes with the three, Peter, James, and John. And then he speaks to them and he says, stay here while I pray. And he leaves them and he goes by himself to another place in the garden. When your heart is broken and you are falling down in pain and sorrow and the agony is the worst you have ever experienced and you feel like you are going to die, you do not need people watching you as if they are curious of what is going on in you. And some of them might say in that moment of agony of soul, hey, I know what you're going through. And it just sounds fake. It sounds false. Peter and James and John might have said to them, oh, I know what you're going through. Oh, yeah. But they can sleep tonight. The Lord cannot. As much as you have a mental picture, a philosophical understanding, or even an experience that you're drawing upon to say to this person, I know what you're going through, in the end, they alone experience the depth of emotion and isolation in this agony that is theirs. Jesus asked one thing, Peter, James, and John. Watch and pray. And when he comes back, they have failed to watch and pray. Because although he is their dearest friend, even in the moment when he can't stand up and feels like he's going to die, they go to bed and fall asleep. Concerning people say, watch and pray. Concerning 
God say Father? Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus says, when you pray, say Father. That's the start of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. When Jesus is in the deepest agony of his life, when he falls down before God, the first word out of his mouth is, Abba, Abba, Father. It is the word for daddy. It is the Aramaic. Maybe in his boyhood he used it of Joseph. It is an intimate, affectionate term. And when you say Father, you express your affection for the almighty God who hears your prayer. And you confess his affection for you. Jesus intended that we, his disciples, when we pray, would say, Father, you come to the intensive care. You're in the waiting room. And the hurting person says, would you pray? They want you to turn into words now. The hope and faith in your heart. And this is where you start. You say, Father, and you can express it even more explicitly. Father, we love you, and we know you love us. It's a great place to start in the time of deepest sorrow for somebody who says, would you pray for me? Father, your love is unquestioned, and we love you. It is the declaration and confession of affection that God has for you. Sometimes people get in trouble and they think God doesn't love us anymore. How can God love us and this come upon us? And so you start with Father. And you confess the direction of God. You say in your prayer, God, we know you do all things well. Look, Brothers and sisters, all the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Will I doubt his tender mercies, who through life has been my guide? Sometimes we pray, Lord, I don't want to experience this. I don't want my loved one to die. I don't want this to happen. God, let this cup pass from me. Let this hour, let this test pass from me. Lord, I don't want to go through this. And the scripture says, listen, listen. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Surely God wouldn't take you through the valley of the shadow. You know, Paul uses a statement in Romans chapter 8 in a beautiful way. He says, he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Okay? He who spared not his son will surely provide for you everything that you need. But I want to say one other thing. 
He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, may not spare you either. Can you hear this? Can you receive this? He didn't spare his own son. And if in his divine purpose, the sorrow that comes upon your life advances his love and his work in the world, may not spare you either. I see trouble in your future. I see sorrow in your future. You know it is true. And when it comes, you say, not my will. And you say, Father. Confess the power of God in the middle of your trouble. Do not suppose that God's hand is shortened that he cannot save. Or his ear is dull that he cannot hear. When you get in trouble, say, God, I know that you're in control. We have a dear member of our church named Chapita Di Nicola. Doña Chapita, buenos dias, senora. She always watches on the webcast. So she is worshiping with us now if it is a normal Sunday. And we love you, sister. And one of the things you've taught us is God is in control. Yesterday in her 90th birthday party, people told stories about the pin that she puts on every stranger she comes by who will take one. God is in control. It's how she's lived her life for 90 years. God is in control. When you get in trouble, say, God is in control. The sovereignty of God is comfort to you when you are in the deepest sorrow of your life, the deepest distress, the deepest trouble. When your loved one is hurting like never before and they feel like they're going to die, the sovereignty of God is good news for them. Some people think the sovereignty of God confessed in the midst of deep trouble blames God for my pain. Not so. The sovereignty of God confessed in the midst of deep trouble embraces the purpose of God even when you are hurting. God is working out his purposes in the world. The dark threads are as needful in the skillful weaver's hands as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern. He is planned. I trust him. Whether the threads are dark or whether they're gold and silver, whether it's bright or whether it's rainy, in all things we trust him. We say, not my will, thine be done. I'm submitting to you, Father. In this, I believe that you are in control. Jesus says, Father, and then explicitly he says, in his next breath, everything is possible for you. Father, everything is possible for you. Take this I know you can do it. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. The sovereignty of God will blanket your soul with comfort and his peace even when you are dealing the deepest pain 
of your life. To know that God works out his purposes in the world and in you, even though trouble has come. It is a comfort and a blessing to say, Father, everything is possible with you. And I would love for this cup to pass from me, but I will drink it if you want. Concerning yourself, one more confession. Concerning yourself, Say, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It is the word that Jesus speaks to his disciples. They don't know what to say. He feels like he's going to die. He's hurting so bad, and they have fallen asleep. They don't know what to say to him. But he knows what to say to them. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't that a generous word from the Lord in the midst of his trouble? One of the things we will see of Jesus is that though the pain that comes upon him narrows the focus and channel of his attention and his life in these last days, and it will always do that, by the way. Pain will always narrow the channel through which you look. Sometimes pain collapses your life upon itself. Even though Jesus is dealing with this pain, he still cares for others. And godly compassion is learning how to care for other people even when you yourself are hurting. All right? Jesus teaches us that all the way through the passion right up to his last breath when he dies on the cross. He's taking care of everybody around him. And now he's taking care of these disciples who are embarrassed. They don't know what to say. They feel like they failed the Lord. And he says to them, the spirit is willing. I know you guys. I know your heart. I know you want to do what's right. I know that about you. I know you love me. And you really care. I know this. That's what's in your heart. The spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. I think Jesus would speak that over his disciples in the garden. And he would also speak it to us in this room right now. Can you hear the Lord Jesus, generous of heart, grace deeper than all our sin, saying to us, I know the spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. Here's what you must do, okay? As you get in the trouble, you must see your trouble not simply as a medical situation or a financial situation or a situation of relationships or a situation of bereavement and loss. When you get in trouble, the deepest sorrow of your life, when somebody else gets in trouble that you deeply love, you must see the situation as a spiritual situation. you got to look past the players to what's happening in the realm of the Spirit. And if you will understand it as a spiritual situation, then these confessions can be your stronghold and your tower in the darkness of the night.
Not my will, Lord. Friends, watch and pray. Abba, Father, everything is possible with you. And concerning me, the Spirit is willing. But Lord, I confess to you, flesh is weak. If you try to operate in the flesh, when you're in ICU or you're in the waiting room or you're going to make the funeral arrangements and the family is meeting, if you try to operate in the flesh, you are operating in weakness. And this is a moment when you don't want to be weak. You are strongest when you are simply trusting God to carry you and clinging to Him and saying, Abba, Father, and staying as close as you can to the God who loves you in the middle of your trouble. You will be the rock that sustains your family and your marriage and your friends. If you will, in the moment of trouble, see it as an opportunity God has to express His love to you and to others and make the confessions that Jesus made in the Garden of Gethsemane. Bow with me, please. Father in heaven, Father, we need you. We love you, Lord. We know you love us. I pray for my sister in this room who is struggling with such deep sorrow. God, I pray that you will minister by your Holy Spirit to her to him. I pray for that young person who's dealing with such bitter disappointment. God, let your spirit minister to them. Father, I pray that you will be to us comforter and strength, wisdom and provider in the midst of our deepest agony. And Lord, that you will reveal yourself more fully and completely as dear shepherd and wonderful counselor, beloved, even in the midst of our pain. God, we pray that you will make us so connected to you when times are okay, that when disaster comes, we will stay with that connection and walk through the valley knowing your presence. In Jesus' name.